0: Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Redemption. My name is Byron. I get the great privilege to serve here as the lead pastor and church planter. If you are a guest, I want to say welcome. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Today we're continuing our study in the book of James called "Bold Words from Jesus's Brother." So if you got your Bible, turn with me to James chapter one, verse two. That's where we're going to start today. And James is going to teach us what might possibly be the most important thing when it comes to following Jesus: joy and doubt. And so that's the theme of the day. You got your Bibles. Got your Place. You can use your um, iPhone for the Bible app if you'd like to turn on your digital Bible. If you have an analog Bible like I have, then you can uh, read along with me. Um, I'm going to open this up in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Son Jesus. Jesus who loves us with the love that is everlasting, that is unconditional. Lord, whenever we are going through difficult times, trying times, testing times, you are always there for us, and you are always good to us, and we praise you for that. We ask that the Holy Spirit would um, encourage us, and comfort us, and empower us, so that way we may live a life of faith in the way that James teaches us throughout this section of Scripture. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. So I'm going to start off asking a little bit of audience participation. So I ask a question, you guys raise your hand, all right? I'm going to need a little help with this. Okay, how many of you need um, joy? Joy right? You're like, oh yeah, I could totally use some joy. Life gets a little hard sometimes. It's a little depressing. You feel a little discouraged. You feel a little down. You're like, yeah, I could totally go for some joy. Okay, good. All right. How many of you, 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 you have doubts? You're like, I, I have my doubts. Like, I, I, I didn't know if things were going to be this hard, but uh, yeah, I, I have my doubts. Like, I, I believe in God. I kind of don't really believe in God. I know he's real, but I'm not really sure that he's very good. Who, who has doubts? Okay. Now, how many of you ever experienced a trial? Okay. Testing, trouble, um, hard times, hurts, wounds, scars, right? Try like, yeah, it's a little hard sometimes. I thought this was going to be easy, but I was wrong. Instead, I'm in the middle of a trial. Okay, what we tend to do in that moment, because of the natural proclivities of the human heart bent in towards self and sin, right, we tend to look at the problems around us, and then we go to God, and then we accuse God for all the problems and pain in which we're experiencing. And what James is going to teach us today, that instead of accusing God or asking God, why? God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Instead of asking God, why? We need to ask God for wisdom. Now, how many of you need wisdom? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you need a lot of wisdom. You're going to need a double scoop of wisdom for you, buddy. Like, we we all need wisdom. And that's what James is going to teach us, that when we are in trying times, hard times, that we're to go to God, we ask him not why, but ask him for wisdom. And James learned this from his big brother, Jesus. James saw his big brother, Jesus, grow in wisdom. And so we ask ourselves, how did Jesus live the life that he did? One of the earliest pictures we see of the, the childhood of Jesus, the boy, Jesus Christ, the gospel of Luke, it gives us the way in which Jesus lived the way he did. Here's what it says in Luke 2:40, And Jesus grew and became strong. You want to grow and become strong in your faith, right? You're going to need to do what Jesus did. And he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. Okay. Now, did Jesus have an easy life or a tough life? He had a tough life. We say that Jesus lived the perfect life. And by that, we don't mean the picture-perfect American dream life that so many of us aspire to be like. Jesus had a rather difficult life. When Jesus left heaven, entered into this world, he didn't float around on a cloud, quote, Bible verses, sit in the lotus position and wear a halo. Like, Jesus had a very difficult life. But Jesus lived a life filled with joy, devoid of doubt, full of passion. So how did Jesus live the life that he did? He grew in wisdom, and James saw Jesus grow in wisdom before anyone else was there, before the preaching, teaching, before the miracles, before the ministry, before the cross, before the crowds. James watched Jesus grow in his wisdom, and so James today is going to teach us the very important lesson of growing in wisdom, and so before we get into this, I need to go ahead and put put an airbag on what we're going to talk about today, and I need to tell you this. Sometimes life is hard. Amen? Sometimes life is hard. You don't even have to be a Christian and you can agree with me on that. You're like, I I don't know what... Uh, I don't know what this pastor is going to say for the rest of the sermon, but so far I agree. Life can be sometimes hard. And what James is going to teach us today is that Jesus works when you need Him the most, that Christianity works when you need it the most, that the wisdom of God works when you need it the most. And so James is going to teach us what Jesus learned so we can live and apply it in our life. And here's, here's what James says. Okay. Verse two. He says, count it all. What's the word? Joy. Joy. Oh man. Don't say it like that. Yes, you sound like you're at the orthodontist and not church, right? Count it all. What's the word? Joy. Joy. Yes. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James starts here. Okay, Sometimes life is hard. Now, we as Christians, we don't necessarily do a good job of giving people the full picture of what it means to follow Jesus. So we see somebody whose life is a little hard, and we say, hmm, your life is hard? Give your life to Jesus, and then you're going to go to heaven. And that's true, but we typically leave out the part in the middle, the part called life. And we totally skip over that because sometimes life is hard. You give your life to Jesus, then you go to heaven. But there's this whole other middle part that we, we don't really talk about, and that's the part called life. And just because you give your life to Jesus, it doesn't always mean that everything's going to get better. In fact, sometimes it means it's going to get a little worse and that you're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through trying times. And then on the other side, then we'll get to know Jesus. It'll all make sense. But James wants us to know that if you want to follow Jesus, your life's going to look like Jesus. And the closer you get to him, the more resistance and opposition you're going to take. And I love that James starts here. Okay, verse one, he's like, hi, my name's James. Welcome. Greetings. Good to have you. Nice to see you. Everybody grab a seat. Comfortable. Verse two, life is hard. Okay, get a helmet. Like James starts there. And I love that because James is a pastor. And as a pastor, his job is to take the, the word of God, apply it to the people of God, so that you can live a life for God. James doesn't try to trick us, or con us, or scam us into thinking that everything's going to be easy, and that, you know, we just close our eyes, click our heels, and float away to never ever land. James lets us know that if you're going to follow Jesus, your life is going to look like Jesus, and the closer you get, the more resistance you can experience. And so James wants us to know, he says, when you face trials... Okay, so trials are going to come, and you're going to experience this, and he's he's wanting us to, te- to teach us something, so that when you experience it, you're not going to go, uh, God, why? God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, have you forgotten me? Okay, God, what's happening? All right, I did all the things. I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. Like, why is this happening to me? God's like, no, I didn't tell you that. I wrote a book. I got my brother to write a book, and we put in the book, we want you to read the book. We put it in verse two because we didn't think that you were gonna read the book. So we want you to read the book. I never said that. Here's what it says: Count it joy when you meet trials. So today the theme is joy and doubt. And as we get into it, we're gonna see that joy only comes through trials. But before we get into joy and trials, I gotta tell you some things that James is not saying when it comes to trials. And I have to do this, this is very important. Because some of us, due to past personal experiences or a well-intending Sunday school teacher or theological gymnastics, we can come to all sorts of erroneous conclusions very quickly about the nature and character of God. And so here's a couple of things that James is not saying when we experience trials. First, he is not saying that God is punishing you. Now, how many of you, that's where you go? God has punished me. Something bad happens. Something's going wrong. God, you must be punishing me. There must be some sin in which I'm being smitten for because I deserve this in some way. And so immediately you start going through the the catalog of everything you thought and everything that you did and everything that you have said in your life because there must be some reason for the season in life that you're in that God must be punishing me. Who goes there? That may be how you feel, uh, but that's the furthest thing from the truth. The truth is, if you are a Christian, there is no more punishment for your sin because God has already punished His Son. That the wrath of God was poured out on the Son of God, so that way you can live a life for God. That on the cross, Jesus died in your place, He, he lived the life you never could, died the debt that you deserve, and then He gives you His grace. And so there's no more penalty for your sin because on the cross, Jesus paid it all. Now, in this life, you will have to walk through the repercussions of your actions, You will still have to endure your your personal decisions and, and the experiences and things that you go through. You sow, you reap, cause, effect. Now that is true, but there is no more punishment for your sin because God has already punished his son. It would be like sending two people to prison for the same crime. It's injustice. And so when you are going through hardships and trials and storms, know this, God is not punishing you. The second thing is God is failing you. When something bad happens, when when there's a trial, when there's a storm of life, when you don't know what's going on, it's easy for you to feel as if God has failed. Okay, who goes there? God, you have failed me. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, I don't know. God, what did I do? God, God, your promises must not be true. You must not be real. You feel as if God has failed. But then you look over in the fence into someone else's life, and then you see the blessings of God there. You see the provisions of God there. You see God moving, God working in someone else's life. And then you look at your life and you're like, why is he not working here? What have I done? What is, why has God failed me? That may be how you feel, but God has not failed you. God's not failed you. God's just not done with you. And some of you, we have a greeting card faith, a hallmark Christianity, where we've been told that if I give my life to Jesus, then everything's going to get better. Just wait. Eh. I don't know. How many have been waiting for a while? You're like, I've been waiting and it's not getting any better. Like, where where does that where does that happen? Listen, God does not promise that everything will change. He promises that you will change, and that is difference. See, when we're going through hard times, it's easy for us to to be bent in towards ourselves. When things are going good, hey, praise God everything's great. It's easy to trust God when things are good. Get a new house, get a new car, get a promotion, get a new job, you get married, you have kids. Wow, God is so great. But what do we do when things don't get better? What do we do when things don't improve? They actually get worse. Then what happens? Then where do we go? When things get worse, that's when you need to take God at his word. The last thing that Jesus says, I will never leave you, never forsake you. I will be with you always. God has not failed you. God is just not done with you. And then number three, God is not ignoring you. Oftentimes it feels like God's ignoring me. We don't understand. God, we need to reconcile. We need to figure this out. Lord, I have a bunch of questions. You need to car about 50 minutes so we can have some coffee. We need to figure this out. Okay, I got a list of demands. I made the Excel spreadsheet. God, you owe me. God does not owe us anything. God is not ignoring you there's just some things in life we won't have the answers to. There are some trials and experiences on this side of heaven we just won't know. Paul says, for now we see in part, but one day we'll see him face to face. And then, and then the mysteries of God will be known. But now God's telling you, don't look to the answers. Look to me. Look to me. God is not ignoring you. There's just some things that we won't know. Now, I'll I'll tell you this. The majority of life's big questions will be answered in the scriptures, but there's just some things On this side of heaven, we don't know. And what I do know is this, that when you're walking through trials or storms or the hardships in your life, I do know this. God is not punishing you. God is not failing you. God is not ignoring you. So those are things that James is not saying when it comes to trials. So what does James say about trials? Well, back to the text let's read it again. Count it all joy, my brothers, that includes the sisters, God has made us a family, that God is our father, that Jesus is our big brother, we've been adopted into the family of God, we all receive an inheritance. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that's an important word, and let steadfastness, there it is again, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, what is James trying to tell us when it comes to trials? Three things. First thing is this, you will get trials. Okay. You will notice the language. He says, when you meet trials, he doesn't say if, okay, how many of you are hoping for If you're like, if would be nice. Like if a trial was come, maybe I could put it in my calendar and we can schedule this out and we can, you know, make a day out of it. If I got a trial. He doesn't say if. He says when you get trials. So don't freak out. Don't blow up. Don't, don't fret. Don't, don't get in, a- anxious and exhausted. So, to God. No, God's like, I warned you. I told you. You will get trials when trials come. The second thing is this. Your trial is a test. James starts, he says, know this. So it's going to be very important. He says, know this. I want you to think about this. I want you to prepare for this. I want you to study for this. I want you to know this. Cling to this. Hold on to this. It's very, very, very important. Know this. A trial can feel like an attack, but James says it's a test. Sometimes in the middle of a trial, we feel like we're being attacked, but if you change your mindset from an attack to a test, you'll recognize that a test is an opportunity for you to grow. It's an opportunity for you to prove your faith, to prove that you belong to Jesus. If you stop seeing a trial as an attack and you start to see it as a test, then you'll see it as an opportunity. Those of you who are in college, you understand this. You got a test coming up. It's a big test. And you got to study for your test and you get a little anxious, you feel a little stressed and then you take the test, you you studied hard, you prepared, you pass the test, you're like, yeah, maybe I was a little exhausted, but I passed the test and I actually feel pretty good. That's the same way when you're walking through trials in your life. You need to see it as an opportunity, an opportunity for you to prove that you belong to Jesus, to prove that God is working in your life, to prove that you have hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your test is your opportunity. The number three, you will get trials of various kinds. Okay, here's the language. When you meet trials of various kinds, okay, you know what that means? It's gonna come in a variety pack lots of different trials, and they look different. Some trials are big, some are small, some are some, some are little, some are large, right? Some trials come from different places. So you could get into the middle of trial and it could start um, financial, then it's gonna move into marital, then it's relational, then it's within the church, then maybe in your community group, then maybe at your job, could be with your children. Trials are gonna come from all sorts of places and they come in various sorts of sizes, So you never know when a trial is going to come. You never know where it's going to come from as well. And and so we have to be aware that we're going to get trials of various kinds. So imagine like this, like some of you, you understand this, right? Trials come one at a time. So your, your marriage, you work on your marriage, your marriage is doing well, and then your car breaks down. And then you get your car fixed and then you lose your job. And then you get another job and then your budget falls apart. And then you get your budget together, and then your kids rebel. And then you get your kids together, and then something else happens. All right, one after the next. You're like, can I even get a break? It's just one after the next, trial after trial. And then sometimes it's like a dog pile on trials. It's like everybody just jump on at once. And then everything just falls apart, and you're left feeling like, okay, what do I do? That's a trial. Now, here's, here's what I, I don't want you to do when it comes to trials. I don't want you to compare trials with other people. If joy is the theme of the day, then comparison is the thief of joy. If you go and you compare trials with other people, you're never going to see what God is trying to do in your life. And this is what I see so often in the church. Okay, we're we're experiencing trial, we come to church, and then we start looking at other people's trials. And we say, well, they don't have a trial like me, or, or my trial's bigger than their trial, or they're walking through this. It must not be that big of a deal to them. And we begin to compare other trials. So let's say some people, you're really good at your budget, right? You love numbers, but you hate people. And other people, they have a huge capacity for relationships. Like every person they meet is their friend, okay? but they, they they can't work a budget. And someone comes to you and they're like, I, I'm having relational troubles. You're like, pfft relational trouble, don't even bother with that, right, that's not even a big deal, like, and then they have two strained relationships, and they're in the fetal position, and you're like, I like numbers, come please talk to me, okay, and then you begin to compare trials, and you miss the point of what God is trying to teach you, so you walk into your community group, and say your your marriage is struggling, and another person is struggling at work, don't look at them and say, that's not a big deal, you should see my trial, you think you're tired, you should see my life, I'll, I'll trade you trials, okay, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that, because what could be a quiz for you is a test for them, and it costs them 50% of their grade. If we compare trials, we'll miss the point of what God is trying to teach us in our test. See, the church is supposed to be a place where everyone can walk in, feel welcomed, feel loved, to lean on, to listen to to be encouraged, and not to be compared to And James says that when we do all of this together, when we walk together, when we listen and learn from one another, when we bear one of the burdens and when we endure trials together, here's what happens. We grow. We grow in holiness. He says we grow in maturity and we grow in steadfastness. Okay, now that word steadfast, it's a huge word. It means perseverance. And I don't know if you heard me teach on this before, but it's a mega theme throughout all of scripture perseverance it's kind of a big deal the fifth point of calvinism is perseverance of the saints that means as christians we don't quit we don't give up we don't give in we don't walk away we keep moving keep believing we keep persisting that's what it means for us to be a christian now it doesn't mean that we're not hurting it doesn't mean that everything's perfect it doesn't mean that we're not walking with a limp or crying it just means that when we go through hell we don't quit And we keep moving. And those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, then you can attest to this. That when you are hurting, that's when you grow in trusting. Amen? Amen. And some of us, we we are not maturing in our faith because we refuse to embrace our trials. Some of us, we are immature because we avoid our hardships. Anytime life gets tough, you quit. Life gets hard, you quit. You get a job, it gets a little tough, and then you quit. And then you get another job, and then it gets tough, and then you quit. You get in a relationship, things get complicated, you quit. You move to another relationship, it gets complicated, and then you quit. And then you, you find a church, and then you have a disagreement, and then you quit. You move to another church, you find another disagreement, and then you quit. And then you join a community group, and these people kind of get on my nerves, and then you quit. And then you join another community group, and these people get on your nerves, and then you kind of quit. You know what the constant variable in all those problems are? You. Some of us refuse to grow because we refuse to embrace the hardships and the difficulties that we have in our life. You know what never happens if you always quit? You will never mature. It's like saying, I want to pass a test without actually having to take the test. It doesn't work that way. It's like saying, I want to lose weight without exercising or I want to be smart without having to read books. It's like saying, I want joy without having to go through the trials. It doesn't work that way. James says that when you go through trials of various kinds, you will grow in maturity, and steadfastness, and once all of these things coalesce, here's what you get, joy, you get joy, when all of that comes together in your life, you can count it all joy, now, now again, how many of you want joy, you're like, Byron, this is a pretty depressing sermon, (laughs) okay, I could totally use some of that joy right about now, like, please give me joy, okay, hands up, joy, 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 good, good, okay, how many of you want a trial, just so you know, they're the same question. <laughs> you can't get joy without going through the trials. James says, then we can count it all joy. Now, some of you, you grew up in what's called Christian fakery. Okay, that's the theological term, Christian fakery. You were taught your entire life. You had to put a perfect smile on. You had to live the perfect life and you had to pretend like everything was okay. And then anytime someone comes up to you and they're like, Hey, how are you doing? You're like I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> are you sure about that? Oh, I'm better than I deserve, brother. really? Yes. Why do you ask? I don't know. Because you have bags under your eyes, you're crying, and you're bleeding out of your ears. Seriously, something's the matter. I count it all joy, right? No, you're insane. That's what you are. You are religious and insane, and you need some Jesus. Okay, see, James here is not telling us that we need to fake it, He's not giving us some power of positive thinking that if if we just think happy thoughts, then there will never, ever be another problem in our life. And that if we can just skip and sing hymns and think about rainbows and lollipops, all of our problems are gonna go away. That's not what James is saying. James is saying that in the midst of trials, you can experience great joy. He's not telling us to fake it. He's telling us to trust. Now, Christians will tell you that there's a difference between happiness and joy. And to an extent, I agree with this. Okay, but the difference is, is that happiness is dependent upon your circumstance. Now, joy, that's in spite of your circumstances. But Christians will often say, Oh, oh you, you have happiness? Oh, well, I have joy. And, like, they make it seem like happy is a bad thing, okay? Now, happy is good. Okay, I like being happy. Right? If we were to like, say, Happy, yay, like, if we were to take a vote, I'd have two hands up. Like, please, yes, happiness is a good thing. Let me give you an illustration, okay? Let's say you go into work tomorrow, and your boss says, you're getting a raise. Happy! Yay, happy! Okay, well, let's say you go into work tomorrow, and your boss says, I'm quitting. Yay, happy, happy! Or let's say you go for dinner tonight, and your wife says, hey, babe, here's a plate of chicken wings, no more kale. Happy, happy! That's just an idea, babe. Um, I love chicken wings. Um, happiness is dependent upon your circumstance. Okay, now, let's say you go into work tomorrow, and your boss says, instead of the raise, you're fired. Hmm. Or the doctor says, it's cancer. Or the wife says, I want a divorce. Huh. Oh, well, then what do you do? Then where do you go? Then how do you feel? Then where do you turn? When happiness walks out, that's where joy steps in. Joy is the promise of God's people. Joy is trust in your trials. Joy is peace in the storm. Joy is hope when everything seems hopeless. Joy is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And James wants you to know that the same joy that was available to Jesus is also available for you. That Jesus had joy even when he wasn't happy. When Jesus wept over Lazarus and when he cried over the city of Jerusalem, when he sweated blood in the garden, when Jesus was hanging out on the cross. He did it all with a life filled with joy, purpose, and passion. And that same joy is available to you. But in order to receive this joy, you must walk through the trials. So you can have joy even when life is hard, but you can't have doubt. And that's James' second point. So here's what he says next. If any of you lacks wisdom, okay, let me just pause right there. I appreciate that. Like, does anybody in here need wisdom? Like, I know a guy, I know a guy who could use a lot of wisdom. I'm not going to tell you his name, but it starts with the and it ends with an iron. But that guy <laughs> could use a lot of wisdom. Just saying. And then he says, if anybody needs wisdom, let him freak out. Let him pick up the phone, start calling everybody, get on Facebook, make a rant, let people really know how they feel. Right? Turn off the lights, stress out, freak out. What does he say? Ask. I love that. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God's like, yeah, I have lots of wisdom. If you would just come to me and ask me, I'd be happy to give it to you. Right? Does anybody need wisdom? Okay, I, I'd give you some wisdom if you would just come and ask me. Are you are you in the middle of the test? God's like, I got the answers. If you would just come and like, like we can talk together, and it's not a problem for me. I'd love to give you wisdom because God is a father and he is generous towards his children. It's so cute. My, my little girl, she's nine months old and she's at the stage to where she can start to kind of play on her own. Now we can't like leave her alone. I mean, we still have to like be there and watch her, uh, but we can kind of sit back on the couch while she crawls around and she begins to kind of play. And, and she has this new toy. It's uh, a wooden box with a square peg and the round hole. And she starts to kind of play with it. She loves blocks because she puts them in her mouth. And she really puts everything in her mouth. But that's where she's at right now. And so she's trying to play with this box. And she has the blocks. And she gets distracted. She loses focus. She starts looking at the cat or other different toys. And she can't really figure it out because she's nine months. And this is Uh, This box is kind of difficult for her. And then she gets frustrated and she looks at me. She lifts her arms up and she starts to cry. She's basically saying, you know, daddy, please help, come. And so what do I do in that moment? Do I say, square peg, round hole? It's easy. Uh, How could you not figure this out? Quit being such a baby. You need to figure this out. No, I don't do that. What do I do? Get down on my knees, come close to her, pull her in, give her a hug, give her a kiss, and then I help her. That's you and God. That's your relationship with God. If you would just, when you are frustrated, even before you're frustrated, if you would just go to God and ask him, God's a father, and you're his child, and he'll pull you close, he'll give you a hug, he'll comfort you, and then he'll give you wisdom. That's the way God works. That's the father in which we serve. And so I love that. God's like, yeah, I totally have wisdom, but you must ask in faith but let him ask in faith. That means you have to believe it. You need to trust it. You gotta know that God is who he says he is, that he's gonna do what he said he would do. You need to have faith with no doubting. There's our word. So so far we talked about joy and hardships. And now we're gonna see there's doubt. For the one who doubts... It's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James now is going to juxtapose joy and doubt. He's going to give us an illustration, and he wants us to use our imagination. Pretend you're on a boat in the middle of the sea, and a storm is coming. Okay, James knows this because he saw his big brother Jesus along with the disciples calm a storm in the middle of the sea. And so James wants you to use your imagination. You're on a boat, you're in the middle of a sea, and then a storm is coming. Okay, what happens in the middle of the storm? The sky turns black. The clouds get dark. You can't see land. You can't see the horizon. You lose sight of safety. The wind and the waves, they become violent and volatile. You feel helpless. You feel small. You feel out of control. You're stressed. You're anxious. You're worried. You're exhausted. You're tired. Okay, life's like that. Okay, that's a storm. And I asked you at the beginning, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus live the life that he did? How did Jesus face the trials and storms? He grew in wisdom. And James is going to teach us that when the the trials of life, when the storms of life are coming, then you're going to need to grow in wisdom in the same way that Jesus grew. Consider all the storms that Jesus faced. I mean, loneliness, temptation, rejection, isolation, homelessness, poverty, opposed by the religious leaders, hated by the government, betrayed by his friends, denied by his family, arrested, tried, crucified, murdered. Jesus faced a lot of trials. He faced a lot of storms, but he did it all, filled with joy, devoid of doubt, full of passion because he grew in wisdom. And James wants us to know the important lesson of growing wisdom because wisdom is the way in which we get our sea legs. Have you ever been seasick? I've been seasick once and I only intend to ever be seasick once. Okay. It's the worst. It is absolutely terrible. I was about 12 years old and um, we went on a family vacation to Mexico And on this vacation, we went deep sea fishing. And if you go over to my grandparents' house, there's a a picture of me holding like this 10-foot marlin fish that we caught. Now, the truth is, I didn't catch that. Somebody else caught that. And I just got to take my picture with the fish. Here's me. The entire boat ride, I'm in the back of the boat. I'm leaning over the side, puking my guts out. I'm dizzy, I'm nauseous, I'm anxious, I'm walking around like this, like I can't do anything. I'm stumbling, tripping, falling. And the, I'm, the longer I lay down in the back, the worse I get. Okay, I'm thinking, oh God, this I'm never gonna get off of this boat. Okay, Anybody ever been seasick? Okay, the same thing that happened to me personally can also happen to you spiritually. When the storms of life come, Right? You, you get sick, you're stumbling and tripping and falling, and you're dizzy, and you're unstable. James says we are unstable. And so what we need to do is we, we need to see where we're at who God is, where we're going, and we can't have any doubts. So James is juxtaposing joy and doubt. He says, if you need wisdom, ask. But if you have doubt, you won't receive. Which, by the way, I find totally confusing, if I'm being honest. It's like James is like, hey, is anybody uncertain? Is anybody, anybody um, unsure? Does anybody need wisdom? Does anybody have doubts? Okay, come, come on, ask God. Except for you, can't have doubts. You're like what? How does that work? Like I'm certainly uncertainly, so I'm pretty sure that I am. Like all that I know is that I don't know nothing. Right? H- how does this work? Okay, let me explain it to you. Joy and doubt. Okay, joy. Now that is to ask God. Okay, God, I'm in the middle of a storm. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. So instead I'm going to turn to you. God says, if you bring me your doubts, I'll give you my joy. It's a joy to ask God. Now doubt, that's not to ask God. That's to accuse God. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, you, you owe me. Okay, God, I, I'm not sure that you're real. And if you are real, I don't know if you're very good. In fact, I actually think you're kind of cruel. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? You, you owe me. And then God's like, I gave you the Bible. You're like, yeah, I didn't read that. Hey, I, I know, God gave me the church. and But, you know, my, my, my buddies, they really give some good advice. I know Pastor Byron keeps trying to get me to join a community group. Oh, but my drinking buddies, man, they got some, made some really good points. And I know that, God, you given me pastors and teachers and theologians to help me better understand the scriptures. But I did watch this YouTube video. And it doesn't really have any sources or credibility, but you should read the comment section. That's pretty exciting, right? That's kind of how we see our lives. We're like, God, what is your will? I don't really want to do that. God, what are you asking of me? I'm not listening. God, what do you want me to do? That's a little complicated. You know what? Instead, I think I'm just going to go and do it on my own. James says you are double-minded. You are unstable in all of your ways. Double-minded. One translation says you're like a man who has two souls. You are living a double life. You're in, you're out, you're hot, you're cold. I know God, I don't know God, I trust God, I don't trust God, I believe in God, I don't believe in God, I have faith in God. I don't have faith in God. And when things are going well, right, you're the one who takes all the credit. And when things aren't going your way, it's God who is to blame. And you have one foot in the world and you have one foot in the church and you're wondering why you're so uneasy, so uncertain, so unsure, because you are unstable. See, doubt what James is talking about here. It's not uncertainty. It's inconsistency. It's not uncertainty. It's inconsistency. Pastor J.D. Greer, he says that um, half-hearted Christians, double-souled Christians are the most miserable people because they have just enough of the world in them to never be satisfied by God and just enough of God to never be satisfied by the world. And you're wondering why you're uneasy and you're wondering why you're uncertain. It's because you are inconsistent and you are unstable. Listen, some of us are unstable. And we, we run to God and then we run to the world. We, we read our Bibles and then we watch Netflix for two months and then we pray and then we walk away and then we seek wise counsel and then we seek worldly advice and then we're trying to integrate both. See, the world is not lacking in information. The world is lacking in wisdom. And some of us, we, we want we, we want the joys without the, the trials. We want the, the wisdom without the storm. We want to grow, but we don't want the work. We want to mature, but we don't want to see the difficulties that come along with it. We want to see God move, but we don't want to be steadfast, and we don't want to be stable. We want joy without trials and wisdom without storms. But when the storms of life come, we have the audacity to accuse God for the problems in which we're walking through. We're unstable. Listen to me, Redemption. I, I want you to understand this. I want you to know this, that sometimes the most difficult things in your life are the greatest opportunities for your growth. Sometimes the the hardest things in which you will experience in this life are the greatest moments for you to see God move. One theologian, he says it this way, that those who God uses greatly are the ones who have been wounded deeply. Because when you are hurting, that's when you grow in your trusting. I I need you to see this. Okay, redemption, I I, I love you. And this is a hard lesson, but it's an important lesson that we learn as Christians. If we will allow God to use our suffering, then he will produce in our lives holiness and maturity and steadfastness. And when all of that happens, you can count it all joy, not because of the storms, but because God is going to bring you through to the other side. And when that happens, that's joy. That's joy. I, I need you to see this, okay? I, I love you. I'm like Pastor James. I want to take the word of God, apply it to the people of God so that you can live a life for God, okay? And James here says, he says, if you ask for wisdom, I'll give it to you. So that's what we're going to do. Okay, we're going to ask for wisdom, okay? And so just close your eyes and pray with me right now, okay? We're just going to see how this works, okay? Close your eyes, pray with me. Okay, just repeat after me real quick. Say, God, I'm in the middle of a storm, I'm in the middle of a trial. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. So I'm going to turn to you. You say you give wisdom? I need wisdom. All right, open your eyes. Look around the room. What has God given you? If he says, I'm going to give you wisdom, it's here. What has God put around you? What has God given you? Who has God placed in your life? That's where wisdom would be found. In the beginning, in verse 4, he says, complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, God promises, and he will deliver on his promises. So if we're in doubt, where do we go? If we're in doubt, what do we do? We need wisdom. Okay, so where is wisdom found? Four places at redemption. I'll tell you that wisdom is found. First, wisdom is found in worship. Worship is when you take your eyes off the storm and put them back upon the Lord. It's when you go to God You say, God, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know where to turn. So instead, I'm going to turn to you. It's singing his goodness even in the midst of the pain. It's singing his promise even in the midst of the problems that you're worshiping him, that you would lift your hands, you would lift your voice. And worship includes public gatherings and it also includes your private devotions. It's, it's reading your Bible, it's praying with others, it's giving of your tithes and offerings and taking communion and coming forward for prayer and talking with elders, all of that. It includes worship because there's great wisdom to be found in worship. The second place is in community and that we gather together in community because the worst thing about going through a storm is going through it alone. There is great wisdom to be found in community because then you can get around other people and they have life experiences and maybe they're going through the same thing that you're going through and they can help you, not to compare with you, but they can walk with you through it. They're like, you know what? I've been there. I was laying over the side of the boat. I was puking my guts out. I was dizzy. I couldn't do it. Here's how I made it through. You can do it. And there's great wisdom to be found in community because the worst thing about going through a storm is when you have to go through it alone. This is why I tell you all the time, join a community group, because there's wisdom to be found in community. Then last uh, thirdly is mission. There's great wisdom to be found in mission. You know what I found out that that the greatest opportunities for me to share my faith come from my stories. Come from the storms that I have gone through in my life. If you will allow your storm to become a story, It'll help other people understand who Jesus is. And then they can get a full picture of what Jesus is actually leading them through into in their life. Don't allow your storm to just be a storm. Let it be a story. Let your testing be your testimony. And that when you share your faith, you're able to see God redeem the things you've walked through to bring life to someone else. It's great wisdom to be found in mission. And then lastly, number four, there's wisdom in serving. When you take your eyes off your problem and put them onto other people, you will see your purpose. There's great wisdom to be found when we serve others. As we, as we serve, we see other people meet Jesus. We see the church begin to grow. We see our faith in action. We start to grow in trusting. And when all of this comes together, you'll see the trust and trials. You'll see the stories and storms. And you'll understand that God is faithful, even in the midst of our struggles. Okay, redemption, I, I love you. I, I want you to, to see this. I want you to have the life that, that Jesus experienced, that Jesus, even through the trials he walked through, he never stopped worshiping God. He he never stopped living in community. He never stopped living out his mission and he never stopped serving other people. Even in the midst of all the storms and trials, Jesus did all of that and he counted it joy. I want you to know this, not so that you would just die and go to heaven one day, but that you would live a life today filled with joy that God has promised you. The same life that Jesus lived, we don't have to just admire his life, we can enjoy it. That's my hope for you today, Redemption. So as we're going to wrap this up, here's a couple of things now that we can do to respond. I want you to worship Jesus today. As we begin to sing, I want you to, to worship and to praise God because that's how we, we, we have trust in our trials. Say, God, I'm in the middle of the storm and I don't know what's going on, but I choose you above what it is that I am walking through. And then we're going to take communion as a visible sign that Jesus paid the ransom for our sins and there's no more punishment for us. So we partake in communion as a visible sign. And then we're going to invite you to come forward to our praying elders and team so that they can talk with you and pray with you and walk with you through the trials and the things that you're experiencing. And then we're going to give of our tithes and offerings, proving that we trust God even in the midst of our trials. And that we're going to give so that more people can come to know Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome, too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.